As you're seated, kids are headed out. You can turn to James chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off last week. But uh, first, we'll pray for some specific needs that we do each week. And so uh, join me in your hearts and minds as we pray together. We praise you, Father, for who you are. You are worthy of all worship and glory and honor and dominion. Have your way here this morning. Reign supreme in our lives. Father, forgive us for our many sins and work in us to forgive like you forgave us. Thank you for your provision in our lives and the life of our community. And Father, we ask you would make us generous like you. Continue to grow our desire to unify in a coalition of affiliated local churches in this area and surrounding parishes in our state for greater gospel saturation here, for sending out church planting teams into all the earth. Father, help us and other faithful churches in the Twin Cities seek health and discipleship and maturity and multiplication. Give us grace for our small groups. Give us a gospel fluency such that we see the world through the lens of the good news of your perfect life and your sacrificial death and your resurrection so that we can nurture each other in DNA groups. Help us to shepherd each other, reflecting your love. Father, we thank you for the students at the crossing and providing a community for them to grow with their peers and with their families in the grace and your knowledge. Help us to prepare and empower them to join us and even lead us in mission. As summer is winding down, Father, we ask for a strong engagement and presence at ULM. Help us to serve along the BCM, uh, alongside the BCM and other ministries. We want to have an impact on this generation, on these gifts, on the students that are a part of our local university and a part of our church. Father, you've given us close proximity to share your love and deed and proclaim your word. So help us to do it faithfully, Father. Help us to become more like you as we engage our community. Help us to encourage our local government as we continue praying for them. We ask that you would fill Washita Parish with businesses and organizations, with disciple makers who are deeply enthralled and changed by your love. Help us in this network of healthy local churches send out more and more into every sector of public life. Father, open doors for long-term gospel workers and uh, unreached people groups like the Wanchi and the Aceh and the Baima and the Bonin and the Tongan and the Tibetan Jone and the Laz and the Zaza and the Mandar peoples. Keep our sent ones, like the V family and their teammates, help them to continue to grow in their affection for you. Help us to continue to grow in our care for them. We thank you for forming baby V and keeping her safe and sound until she arrives soon, healthy and whole. We pray your continued blessings on them. And be with the T family and continue to bless them as they strive to reach Muslim, Turkish Muslims in Berlin. Continue to bless their AJ Cafe and all the ministry that the ladies have been able to do through that business. Thank you, Father. You're so good. We can call out these names that mean a lot to some in this room, may not mean anything to others in this room, but mean everything to you. And you care. And you love to hear us interceding on behalf of others, petitioning on behalf of others. Thank you for working in mysterious ways within your sovereignty to take our prayers and accomplish your purposes. We don't know how you do that, why you would even choose to use us, but we know you do. And you get great glory when your people pray and intercede and call out on behalf of others. 
And so help us as a church to be faithful to do that here when we gather on Sundays, but every single day as we're in our prayer closets petitioning you. And now we come and want to worship you through the preaching of your word, so help us. We need Jesus. We need the word to work in us. We need the spirit to illuminate the scriptures. We need to understand so that we can more and more enjoy being your people and more and more be engaged in living out our mission that you've given us in our city. Don't leave us the same, Father. Come this morning and change and transform us and awaken us and call us to repentance and faith in you. And I pray for anyone here who's yet to trust in Jesus to be their king and their savior and their friend. I ask that today would be the day of their salvation as they turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Make it happen for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're in James chapter 2, as a church, we, we say that we desire all people to enjoy Christ always. We want to orient our lives around living in such a way that more and more people will find in Jesus their greatest joy and experience that joy in all of life, no matter what they face. Record-setting inflation, wars and rumors of wars, persecution even, troubles and tribulations, whatever comes, we'll still have joy because we still have Jesus and nothing can separate us from him. And one of the greatest obstacles or hurdles that we have to cross in our area is so many people in our area believe they have Jesus. But is he their treasure? Is he their greatest joy? Is he the one they run to when life is falling apart? Is he the one they celebrate in all the good that they get to experience? The one they enjoy their deepest intimacy and friendship with? And for many, not really. But they have Jesus because... They've gone to a church, or they occasionally show up at one. They've prayed a prayer of faith. They've made a public profession. They've been baptized or catechized. You see, in the Bible Belt, belt you have to um, see people unsaved before they can be saved because so many people in our area believe they are saved because of these religious hoops they've jumped through. And this passage in James 2 is a fantastic tool to help us understand nominal Christianity or false salvation Christianity and a great tool to help us reach our culture with the gospel. And we'll be in this passage uh, this week and next week, beginning in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder senseless person are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless wasn't abraham our father justified by works and offering isaac his son on the altar you see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was made complete and the scripture was fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called god's friend you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone 
In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The resounding message of this entire section that will be in today and next week is dead faith cannot save you or justify you. Dead faith is as useful, according to a Rich Mullins song, as a screen door on a submarine. And what is dead faith? Very clear, very easy to understand in this passage. Dead faith is faith without works. Now this raises all kinds of potential questions or concerns. Some of you good Protestant reformers are already wondering, like, what is this passage about? Are we talking about being justified by our works? Are works part of our salvation? How many works, if they are? How much do we have to do? How perfect do we have to be? What kind of works? This seems to fly in the face of Paul that we're saved by faith alone. We'll get to all of that. But whatever those answers are, the clear, uh, over and over in this session, what is clear is dead faith is useless and dead faith is faith without works. The noun faith appears 16 times in the book of James. Five of those times it occurs outside of this passage. And in those five occurrences, faith is always positive. And the 11 times it occurs in this passage, eight of them refer to an imaginary person who claims to have faith. But because this person has no works, their faith does not save them. It does not justify them. James is not comparing in this passage an immature Christian and a mature Christian. He's not comparing a nominal Christian with a genuine Christian. He's comparing someone who's not a Christian with someone who is, even though they profess to be a Christian. It's that black and white. You have faith that can be seen by your works, and you can have assurance that your faith will save you. Or you have a faith that can't be seen by your works, therefore you cannot have assurance that you have genuine faith. James' original audience, they've been reading and hearing from James, and, and this message just seems to be building. If you go back to the end of chapter 1, he, he's talking about not indulging in human anger because it doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. Get rid of moral filth and prevalent evil. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be a people who aren't self-deceived but practice true religion, which is caring for widows and orphans and and not being morally compromised. And then chapter 2, don't show favoritism of the rich over the poor, but instead love your neighbor as yourself. Just really simple, basic Christian living that they needed to hear because we can assume they struggled to live this out. The works were not showing up. And then he says in verses 12 and 13, Joseph walked through this last week, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Wait, we can be judged? The, the, the re hearers may be saying, like, I thought we were safe and secure from judgment. And now you're telling us if we don't show mercy, we could experience judgment. And so for them and us, it's like, been building to this section. James knows these believers, and to some degree, these works are so essential to who we are as Christians are not showing up. Their lives are full of professing faith, but lacking in fruit. And so in these verses, James drops the hammer. 
it might be you don't really have saving faith. That's why the works aren't showing up. And you could be facing judgment one day for that. Because if you did have the works, the evidence would be unmistakable. So what kind of evidence verifies genuine saving faith? We're going to look at four examples or illustrations of that kind of faith, some negative, some positive. We'll look at the first two this week and then the, the last two next week. But looking in verses 15 through 17, we begin with a negative example. Dead faith doesn't care for poor believers. Verse 15 if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now, this continually is a theme in James. Um, he's just addressed this, not showing favoritism to the rich over the poor in chapter 2. It's actually this recurring theme in the entire growth and spread of the church. You constantly see believers sacrificing to give generously to care for one another from acts to revelation it caring for each other taking care of physical needs taking care of the family of faith it's a constant theme offerings that were taken up by this church to go send to that church all this this kind of stuff and so the example here describes a brother or sister a fellow believer who's lacking basic necessities of warm clothing and daily food not that they were actually naked some translations say naked but they probably only had the typical undergarments of that day Whatever it is, it's not enough to keep them warm or secure. And they come to you, and your response is very religiously, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. Now, the language is interesting because there are actually two types of voices that could be used here. One is a voice that could be translated, keep yourself warm and keep yourself fed. You've come to me asking for help because you're struggling to do this very thing. And my response is, go in peace, take care of yourself. Oh, that's so loving. I can't do that. That's why I've come to you. Help me. The second voice, which would also be accurate, is more like implying God will keep you warm and well fed. So I'm praying for him to do that. Go in peace. Your father would take care of you. Well, well, maybe I, I did pray to my father and he told me to come ask you. And now you're telling me just to go back and pray again. Whichever it is, it lacks the basic compassion and mercy of Jesus. And, and we have such a tendency to carelessly gloss over these calls to care for the poor because we, we live in the affluent West. It's, it's like back in the day when we used to flip channels on TV and you come across the channel of the starving kids in Africa and you just keep flipping channels. It like doesn't even register because you just move on to the next thing because you're so distracted. We're so distracted. But don't miss this. If, if we really believe... And desire for all people to enjoy Christ always, that means all the people of Washtenaw Parish. Which means the Spirit is going to send us to all people, which includes people who are stricken with poverty. And unless we say, nah, that's too messy, I'm not dealing with that. We're going to be engaged in sharing the gospel, inviting them into our life, and seeking to make disciples. And there's going to be needs that come up. We're going to have to choose. Are we going to pay the price to care for our potential brother and sister or brother and sister who need Jesus? If we're really inviting them into our lives so we can love them with the love of Christ, share with them the gospel of Christ, it's going to literally cost us something. And James is saying, if you're presented with the need of a fellow believer struggling with basic necessities and your response is only a bunch of religious well-wishing, 
which is part of what makes it so sick, is it's just, it's, it's cloaked in religiousness. Go in peace, brother. Be warm and well fed. Oh, that sounds great. If that's all we're doing, we are showing by our actions, we're not a believer. But as we keep saying, James, a brother of Jesus, continues to echo Jesus. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is showing us that his people are the people who reflect his compassionate heart for the destitute. All through the gospel, Jesus is meeting physical needs as much as he's meeting spiritual needs. In fact, there are plenty of people who were healed physically by Jesus who were and had physical needs met that were never saved spiritually. When, when Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, his followers were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. There's only 120 of them. He impacted thousands. There were only 120 who really knew who he was at that point. And the passage goes on to describe those who aren't his people as those who don't serve the least of these, and thus they turn away from serving Christ because when we serve the least of these, this passage shows us we are actually serving Christ. We have a heart of Christ to see Christ in all image bearers so that we can serve them and thus serve Christ. And if we don't have a heart that reflects the heart of Christ, move with compassion, to these broken by life in this world, then we turn away from them and we miss Christ. So, so what does that mean for us practically? Like, should we just, let's stop. Let's get out of here. Let's go to the soup kitchen down the road. Let's go find everyone who's living in the street this morning and let's bring them into our home. Is that, is that what we're called to do because of this passage? Don't just draw by the panhandler to the intersection saying in our heart, oh, it's a scam. He's got a wad of cash in his pocket. They're all just scamming us. Not suggesting specifics, but James is explicit. This is caring for the poor among you, brothers and sisters. That's where we start. And James and the Bible is not saying we have to do everything to care for the poor among us, but he is saying we have to do something. So what does that look like? Well, we have to figure that out as the needs are presented, as we're in each other's life, as we're honest and open about needs that we have. So there's two sides of that. We're not really sharing life, so we don't really know where we're struggling with each other, or we're not being open about where we struggle. Both have to happen. And as those needs are presented, then we're being generous with one another. And if we're truly getting the gospel to all people in our parish, if we're not showing favoritism to the rich, if we're not just trying to reach the people who can put money in the offering plate, but we're really getting the gospel to all people, we're going to come face to face with physical needs that we can meet. And when that day comes, a sign that we have genuine saving faith is we lean in and actually help and not just wish them well in a religious 
pontification. There's nothing wrong with saying go in peace, be warm and well fed, if you're doing something along with it. Go in peace, I'm going to help you be warm and well fed. I want the shalom, the peace of God to fall on you in your home as I'm part of the body of Christ to care for you. So I'm not sure where and how you and I need to feel conviction here. It's really, really easy to see this example in such a way that we just dismiss it and convince ourselves, well, that just applied to the first century people who live hand to mouth. You know, poverty was so much more widespread back then. And, and I would say if that's kind of where your heart is leaning this morning, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's more in line with dead faith. If our lives have become so insulated from the poor and destitute, if we've built the walls of middle class or upper middle class so high that we don't see or engage with the poor or even give a rip about seeing disciples of Jesus made among the poor, then maybe that's where this needs to fall and sit heavy this morning. Because it's super easy to just do that, just drive by. Come to downtown Monroe, people do live on the streets, have this worship gathering all about Jesus, and let's just go back to our houses. But certainly we can check our hearts when needs are presented and we don't want to engage, or we just want to give good religious talk. Hey, brother or sister, you're struggling with basic necessities. Well, have you heard of Dave Ramsey? He can really help you out. There's a place for that, but right now they need food and clothing. Let's love and action and not word first. Why? Because... Our faith is alive and not dead, and Jesus lives in us, and our actions reflect what Jesus would do. We'll deal with this more next week, but historically, or at least since the Protestant Reformation, the debate in the church has been, does James and Paul contradict each other? But when you see how closely James aligns with Jesus, the real question might be, does Jesus and Paul contradict each other? Spoiler alert, they don't. We'll, we'll get more into that next week. But even what James is saying in verses 14 and 17 echoes what Jesus said in places like Matthew 7. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. It shows up what kind of tree you are. Genuine faith will produce fruit. If the fruit is not there, the faith isn't real. Specifically, do we demonstrate the fruit of caring for poverty-stricken brothers and sisters as a sign of our genuine faith? Or do we even know any brothers and sisters who are poverty-stricken? Like, what would it look like for a church like the Crossing to have missional communities to reach those in our city who are living below the poverty line? Who don't even have a car to drive to a place like the palace and worship Jesus with us? Or drive around and apply for jobs? Do you need a job? Just... Get in your car and go start applying. Well, I have to ride the bus all day. Well, that, that's different. It's one of the hardest types of ministries you can do. We've done, we've engaged. Some of you know, if you know our, our past, we've engaged. We've been at Desired Street. We've been feeding meals, organizing all of that. And, and, and we disengaged uh, because we didn't feel like we were in a position where we can make disciples. We just were giving out food. How do we actually make disciples among the poor in our city? God, help us figure it out. Because the poor need Jesus. Those who live below the poverty line need Jesus. And he's put us here. And we have plenty that we can share. 
The second negative example is in verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. The second negative example is orthodox faith doesn't mean faith is alive. James is imagining a conversation with someone that seems to be presenting faith and works almost like different spiritual gifts. Well, you have faith and I have works. You're good at faith and I'm good at works. And while faith is listed in one of the lists of spiritual gifts, where the Holy Spirit will give this gift of faith to someone who can take these really bold steps of faith for the kingdom of God, and, and, and the Holy Spirit gives that gift of faith to some but not everyone, works are not optional. Works must accompany genuine faith or the faith isn't genuine. So faith alone doesn't mean someone is a believer unless that faith is shown through works. For example, demons. Demons have a theologically accurate understanding of who God is, who Jesus is. In fact, if you read through the gospel accounts, the group of beings who most often best understood who Jesus was were the demons. The disciples didn't always get it right. His own family thought he was crazy. The religious leaders just saw him as a threat. They wanted to kill him. The crowds were just after him for the food that he could put in their tummy or the miracles he could perform for them. The only ones who consistently got it right were the demons. They would pass a theological test, and their understanding of who God is was so accurate, he tells us, James, that it created an emotional response. They shudder, which means more than just uh, a slight quiver, it's uncontainable, uncontrollable, violent shaking from extreme fear. This is Stranger Things season four times a thousand, right? So imagine someone with a theological accurate view of God and an emotional response to the reality of God. How can they not be a genuine believer? They know the truth of who God is. They've had this emotional experience from that truth. And James would say, all they have is demonic faith if they have no works. You can just see how this could be a reality in our churches today. People are orthodox in belief. God is real, and I'm going to die one day and stand before him. And that fear leads to dead religion, but not genuine faith. Demonic faith, but not a heart that's been changed by God. Genuine faith must be orthodox. Yes, doctrine does matter. You can't believe in a God that hasn't been declared accurately. But passing a theological test alone doesn't mean your heart's been transformed. Having an emotional response when confronted with the reality of who God is is also very common. But again, that emotional response alone doesn't mean your faith is genuine. In John 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, they were ready to anoint him king and march on Rome. But by the end of John chapter 6, it says many disciples left him because he wasn't the king they wanted. Their bellies were full, their emotions were enthralled. This is the one, let's go. But their hearts were unchanged. Genuine faith, faith that saves, must be orthodox, will often be accompanied by emotional responses, but will also lead to a fruitful life of works. For example, caring for destitute brothers and sisters, the single moms, the struggling families, the recovering addicts, those fresh out of prison, the illegal immigrants, we have received much mercy from Christ, and we love, who can we share this with? We can't wait to share this with others, because we actually get more joy in sharing what we've received. 
So how do we ensure we're not adding an element of works to our salvation? How do we guard against works salvation if we obey this passage? Well, look at what James has already written. Like context really matters. And so you're hearing this in light of what he's already written. John 1, 17 through 18. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are saved by the word of truth that he chose to give us. We are born again. This has already happened in us because our father who gives us good gifts has already done it in us. So this is not salvation by works. It's salvation by grace through faith of God's sovereign work. James 1.21 Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We receive, and we talked about this that week, we receive the implanted word. The word's already in us because we've been born again. Receiving it is just submitting and yielding to it. And this is what saves us, not our works, but humbly trusting and believing in the word that has already made us alive. James 2.5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Didn't God choose the poor to be rich in faith and heirs? Being an heir is something you receive when you're in the family. If, if they had earned it, then God would be giving them wages that are due. But our father says, no, they're heirs. They're in the family. You're getting the inheritance that I've purchased for you through my son, Jesus. So all of the language James has been writing has already shown that our salvation is a work of God that he accomplishes in us through his word, through his spirit, through us trusting in him, humbly receiving him. And then the evidence that that has actually happened are the works. And if the works aren't there, James is saying very pastorally, he keeps saying, brothers and sisters, family, if the works aren't there, we need to talk about that. That's a problem. One way of understanding, I, th I threw a slide up there, hopefully it will be helpful, of what James is talking about, the, the relationship between faith and works. Uh, this is not talking about works lead to salvation. That's abhorrent, ungodly. We know that that's not true. This is not talking about faith plus works equals salvation. Again, that's not, that's not what we're saying. He's not saying faith alone leads to just salvation. What he's saying is faith leads to salvation plus works. Trusting in Jesus, genuine faith will show up in salvation that will be seen by our works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 puts it clearest. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Created not from good works, created for good works. If the good works aren't present, there are legitimate reasons to question the genuineness of your faith. But how many works and what kind of works and how consistent do I have to be and how much can I fail? Well, We'll dig more into that next week with the examples of Abraham and Rahab. But, but I would simply encourage you to start with the works that are listed in the book of James. 
Does your life, as you walk with Jesus, not, not taking snapshots, but, but seeing the story of your life written, this long narrative, is your life headed in a direction where more and more this life described in the book of James is showing up? Like, even if the works aren't always there as much as you want them to be, like, that's your heart's, like, you're sitting here this morning, like, yes, I know Jesus lives in me, and I want to live that life that shows up like that. Or the works of the Sermon on the Mount that go hand in hand with the book of James. Go read Matthew 5 through 7. Works that are produced by the Holy Spirit. Works done in a way that show evidence that the Spirit of Christ is alive in you. Not the works of religious hypocrites who get around a certain group of people and pretend, look how holy I am, so you'll be impressed with me. But then over here, they're living a completely separate life. Not that, but there's a, there's a, a sameness to your life. You're the same person everywhere uh, around all the people that you're around. Fruit, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, that grow in increasing measure as you walk and mature with Jesus. Like our culture is filled with professing Christians. It's actually kind of hard to find people around here who don't openly profess they are a Christian. But are those professions of faith accompanied by works that verify the genuineness of their faith? Like people can say all kinds of good and right things, but who we are eventually is shown by what we do. It's eventually, you know, all these things, of where the rubber meets the road, proof is in the pudding, da-da-da-da. We, we know this. It's just humanity. We know this. Who you are eventually shows up by what you do. And so let's soberly let the Spirit of God help us see the evidence of our lives. If everything we did this past week was just written on these walls for everyone to see, would it be clear and obvious, wow, I can tell this person loves Jesus. I can see Jesus flavoring everything that they do. Even when they mess up, what do they do? They run to Jesus. If by God's grace, you can say, yes, I, I think so. I see a lot of my actions being actions Jesus is in me, doing in me, through me. Awesome. Like Jesus has glorified through your life. Praise Jesus for that. That's why we're here to worship him and enjoy him together. And to what degree there might be this heaviness of conviction. Guys, that's also a gift of God's grace to help you sit up and take notice of where you can repent and realign your heart with his heart and ask him to help you live out what you say you believe. One author wrote that a believer can make two lists flowing out of James 2, a list of hope and a list of celebrations. Here's where I hope to more and more live my life as an accurate reflection of what I profess. And here's where I can celebrate by God's grace I see fruit. And if this morning the Spirit's convicting you that your faith is just dead faith because there just isn't any fruit then today can be the day of your salvation because Jesus is not dead. Your faith may be dead. He's not dead. He is alive. He lived the perfect life that God has created us to live, demonstrating all the fruits of holiness and righteousness and justice. And at the end of his life, he died a loving, willing, sacrificial death. He absorbed the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. And he was buried and he arose from the dead. He's still alive today so that we can have life in him, so that his life can live in us. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't, I don't think my life has any fruits of salvation, 
Jesus is here. Turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus. Believe in him. Come alive in him and become a new creation. Let him radically change your hearts. Jesus, thank you. You make all these things possible. It is never hopeless because you are alive. You are here and you're not running away from us who are very broken and flawed and struggling, confused, just trying to figure it out. You don't run away from us. You run to us to embrace us, to help us, to surround us with people who will love us unconditionally. Thank you, Jesus. This is who you are. It is never hopeless because of you. I pray for those who are really struggling right now because of the conviction of sin and the lack of fruit. And they're wondering, am I really yours? Jesus, I, I, I ask that you would speak this really deep, powerful word of peace to their heart if they are. And this return to you in repentance and faith to live out the life that you've given them. Mostly they would hear peace and affirmation. But if they're not, I, I pray that you would help them to be honest and be authentic and transparent. Not try to hide, not try to jump through religious hoops, not pretend like all is okay. But they would be honest with the Spirit of God, the Word of God. And today would be the day of their salvation as they trust in Jesus. God, do this work. We need it. Our city needs it. The nations need it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.